The Oligocene Epoch followed the Eocene, 33.9 million to 23.03 million years ago, and was characterized by the biggest geologic change in recent history. For millions of years since the Cretaceous, India had been moving northward at a rapid pace compared to the other continents. By the later part of the Eocene, the southern lands of Eurasia were buckling and folding as the subcontinent came closer towards it. Finally, by the beginning of the Oligocene, India had pushed itself into Eurasia. The violent contact between the two continents pushed up vast areas of land between them, beginning the formation of a new series of mountains, the Himalayas. Simultaneously, in a process that was also continuing from the Eocene, the African continent had been moving north towards Europe and Southwest Asia. Keep in mind that the modern land of Arabia belonged to the African continent at this time, though it was located on a separate tectonic plate. When Africa pushed enough into Europe, some of the land there began to rise upwards as well, forming the Alps, while chunks of land moved from the north and collided with Europe, establishing the Greek and Italian peninsulas. The Arabian plate hit Southwest Asia and brought up the Iranian plateau. The collision of India with Eurasia marked the end of the Tethys Ocean, now replaced with the Indian Ocean. In the Pacific, around 28 million years ago, the very first islands of the Hawaiian archipelago were forming, born of a chain of undersea volcanic eruptions, and Fiji formed a few million years earlier via the movement of tectonic plates. These new mountains and highland regions contributed to the global cooling that ended the Eocene, alongside the growing Antarctic ice sheet. In addition, a new ocean current, the North Atlantic Deep Water Current, formed as the northern seas of Europe and North America had separated long enough for deeper oceans to form. Thus, the Oligocene was a cool time in the Cenozoic era. Cold water adapted marine organisms did very well in the colder seas, while the number of coral reefs and tropical sea species receded to warmer regions around the equator. There was one particular site along eastern Sahul where coral species started building structures and laying the roots of the Great Barrier Reef. Some species of ray fin fishes moved down into the deeper and darker parts of the open ocean, where they formed symbiotic relationships with glowing bacteria that they incorporated into their bodies. This gave them bioluminescence, using light to catch prey or attract mates, and some of the species that evolved from these fishes include the viperfish and hatchetfish, who would become opportunistic predators in these quiet realms. In response to the cooling oceans, many of the early whales had died out, but the remaining species still had plenty of other marine organisms to eat. For example, our modern krill lineages had evolved in the cool northern and southern oceans, and this proved to be a valuable food source for one branch of the whale family. Some of these whales had reduced or lost their teeth, and went after their new prey by sucking them up with a fleshy mouth. Later descendants began to sprout filamentous folds along their jaws to filter the krill from the water. This lineage became the baleen whales, represented today by the humpback, blue, and right whales. Indeed, they will become the largest mammals that ever lived. Another lineage of whales retained their teeth and continued to go after cold water fishes and squids, but they had developed a melon atop their heads. The melon serves as an organ that produces sounds, and the descendants of these mammals became the toothed whales, which include dolphins and porpoises. On the coasts, there was another group of land mammal, related to bears and weasels, that started transitioning into a marine ecosystem. These were the ancestors of the pinnipeds, the seals, sea lions, and walruses of today. Fossil remains tell us that early pinnipeds were otter-like mammals that had webbed feet for swimming, but for the Oligocene, however, these animals were still primarily terrestrial. The cooling and drying conditions of the planet were beginning to have major impacts on land ecosystems. Tropical and subtropical forests receded further and further into equatorial regions, 
and the dense deciduous forests gave way to more open woodlands and fields. In South America, this change was most drastic, as a brand new habitat developed in the east and southern regions, the pampa. This was a grassland, an environment where grass is the dominant plant and underpins the entire ecology. I've neglected to talk about grass, even though it appears to have evolved and diversified in the late Cretaceous, because it wasn't until the Oligocene onwards that these plants began to change the world. Grasses are angiosperms, with often tiny flowers that are not pollinated by insects but blown by the wind. They're hardy and tough, with their leaves incorporating tiny silica structures called phytoliths that serve as protection from herbivores. This did not prevent some of the hoof mammals there from venturing out into the pampa and eating the grass. As the phytoliths can wear down teeth, these animals had to modify their teeth into grazing tools that continuously grew throughout their life. There were also groups of flightless birds called caryomiforms that began to trek out into the grasslands after prey, where they lengthened their legs to become pursuit predators. Arriving from the Atlantic were the caviomorphs, a lineage of rodents that includes the ancestors of the chinchillas, guinea pigs, and pacaranas. These rodents evolved in Africa and found their way to this continent, which could have involved a freak accident involving a storm and some islands of floating vegetation that they could have subsisted on during the unintended rafting journey. In North America, where open woodlands spread from shore to shore, many of the animals in the earlier subtropical and deciduous forests had either gone extinct or adapted to their new environments. In one instance, crocodiles had all but vanished from the wetlands, only to be replaced by alligators, which could weather the cooler waters and even go into a dormant state and sleep out harsher conditions. Tortoises, in contrast, diversified and spread out across many different habitats, where they often grew to enormous sizes. In fact, giant tortoises had a constant presence across most continents for the majority of the Cenozoic era, where they feasted on grasses and other low to medium growing plants. Mammalian faunas had shifted too. Gone were the great bronotheres and dinoceratons, replaced by different species of rhinos as the dominant herbivores. The rhinoceroses of the Oligocene would have looked only superficially similar to those of today, with some species lacking horns altogether, while others sprouted a forked pair. Horses remained browsing animals, though they had now grown much larger in size, with longer limbs and more reduced toes. The camels browsed alongside them, still behaving as running, gazelle-like mammals. These were now joined by early deer, who did not, at first, have their characteristic antlers. They were small and must have timidly foraged in whatever foliage they could find. There were other, now extinct groups of mammals sharing the North American woodlands with these more familiar groups, including the oreodonts, who looked like a cross between a camel, a sheep, and a pig. Oreodonts were very common and must have formed dense colonies as they stripped leaves from bushes and shrubs. Another group, the entelodonts, were relatives of hippos, and even sported elongated teeth in their massive heads, though, unlike hippos, they ate harder brush and seemed to have supplemented their diet with smaller mammals. Hunting these hoofed mammals were the nimravids, who survived the Eocene, now joined by the first dogs, or canids. The earliest dogs were almost weasel-like and scurried after smaller prey animals. The weasel family, or mustelids, funnily enough, had evolved in North America by this time. Eurasia was experiencing shifts in mammalian faunas too, as groups that resided in the eastern side of the continent moved towards Europe and displaced the species living there. Many of the older lineages, like the creodonts and the archaic hoofed mammals, died out, replaced by early pigs, deer, and bears. The first cats evolved there too, with retractable claws for climbing trees, where they originally lived. Southwest Asia sported a truly heavyweight group of mammals, the Andricotheres, which were a lineage of rhinoceroses that lengthened their heads and necks to feed on the leaves of trees. 
They were among the largest that land mammals ever got, reaching a height of 16 feet at the shoulders and a weight of 22 metric tons. The biggest land mammals never reached the size of titanosaurs because unlike these dinosaurs, their bones were solid, not hollow, and this would have meant that their limbs could not support their weight without breaking. In one strange twist, the first hummingbirds had diverged from the ancestors that gave rise to swifts, becoming pollinating animals. These birds, first evolved in Eurasia, later migrated into South America and continued their history there. The African mammals continued to evolve in isolation, with the proboscideans bringing forth a new lineage, the mastodons. They had elongated incisor teeth, now proper tusks, and flattened heads. These great herbivores coexisted with their relatives, the hyraxes, which were represented today by small, grass-eating, rabbit-like creatures, but once came in a variety of shapes and sizes. Sahul's history is a bit of a pickle for paleontologists at the moment, but we can at least be confident that the main groups of marsupials and monotremes were going about their lives. There was a brief rise in temperatures at the end of the Oligocene as part of Antarctica's ice sheets thawed, and the following epoch, the Miocene, 23.03 million to 5.3 million years ago, was mostly characterized by a slightly warmer climate than its predecessor, but it was still much cooler than the Eocene. The Miocene marks a new period that began in Earth's history, the Neogene, which lasted until 2.58 million years ago. The Himalayas continued to rise, and the continued pushing of Africa on Europe brought up the Atlas Mountains that line Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia today. This impact of Africa on Europe had nearly closed the ocean and brought the Mediterranean Sea into existence. Early in the Miocene, the Rockies had started to form in western North America, with the Colorado Plateau following suit by the middle of the epoch. It was there that the earliest stages of the Grand Canyon were taking hold about 17 million years ago, as rivers slowly carved through sedimentary rocks. It was there that the earliest stages of the Grand Canyon were taking hold about 17 million years ago, as rivers slowly carved through the sedimentary rocks. Around 15 million years ago, tectonic activity in East Asia had officially sectioned off the Japanese archipelago from the greater landmass. Further in the Southeast Pacific, Samoa and its neighboring islands were established around 23 million years ago, and the Marquesas Islands wouldn't begin to form until 5.5 million years ago. With the conditions just right, grasslands began to spring up and took over much of the Earth's surface as the forests continued to recede. In North America, there were the prairies. In Africa, the savannas and throughout Central Asia, the steppes. Grasses remained very tough plants, and they were able to regenerate their numbers following fires by placing their roots deep in the ground. That way, when a fire clears, they're able to sprout up quickly because those organs were separated from the flames. Another group of flowering plants was able to use this phenomenon to their advantage, able to set root and grow in the charred soil as the grass returned. These were the composites, which include the modern daisies, dandelions, sunflowers, chrysanthemums, and several food plants like lettuce and artichoke. Their hardy reputation and their ability to spread rapidly has earned them a harsh reputation as weeds among people today. Despite this, composites proved to be a valuable food source, as did the grasses, and this prompted many of the world's land vertebrates to leave the forests for good and enter this new environment. The perching birds, who evolved in the Oligocene, are characterized by their unique foot, which has special tendons and ligaments that close up the foot into a perch when on branches. They seem to have evolved in Sahul, and spread out from there onto the other continents, with one subgroup, the songbirds, diversifying with the spread of the grasslands. Songbirds sing via an organ in their throat called a shrinks, which functions like a voice box for making and amplifying complex calls. This bird song is used to call mates, and each species has a distinct voice. 
the descendants of those ancestral songbirds include many familiar species, like the cardinals, finches, robins, bluebirds, crows, and wrens. Among non-avian reptiles, the snakes had expanded in diversity, with some lineages becoming accomplished predators within the grasses, using venomous fangs to subdue and kill their prey. These prey items included amphibians like frogs, who also experienced the burst of biodiversity during this time. Miocene mammals responded very well to the grasslands. Across the continents, rodents truly began to grow in numbers, paving the way for their lineage to be the biggest group of mammals on Earth. The myomorphs, or mouse-like rodents, really benefited from the grasslands, with many adapting to life among the grassy forests or taking up a burrowing lifestyle. One group, the Crescetids, developed into the first voles, hamsters, and lemmings, while another group, the Murids, gave rise to the proper mice, rats, and gerbils that many among our populace view as pets and pests. Another distant lineage of rodents, the Castorids, included some species that formed strange corkscrew burrows that extended over eight feet into the ground. These larger rodents would give rise to the beavers. Rabbits and their kin, meanwhile, remained running animals, though uncommon in their environments. To continue this episode, please go to part four.